Hi. Hey. It's the, uh, yeah. Oh my gosh. Welcome to Bike Talk, KPFK live stream. This is your host, Don Ward, with co host Nick Richard. And today we have our favorite council member, Nithya Rahman. Welcome back to the show. Um, uh, I know. Last time I was in, uh, I visited with you in person in the primary. Mm-hmm. And then we did a Zoom interview in the general. Is that right? We actually were talking to you about the homeless situation a lot oh, beforehand. Yes. That's right. Now you're in office. The homeless situation was raging before you got there. How's it going? The, everybody in the city is having difficulty with this. What, yes. What's the outlook looking like? It's the biggest question. It's the thing that we get the most calls about, the most emails about in the office. Obviously, it's the thing that's on everybody's mind in the city. Um, it's homelessness and housing costs that are just the, the top issues for everybody in Los Angeles, no matter what. Uh, yes, I inherited a really tough situation here, a, re- a really tough situation. But I will also say that was the thing that spurred me to run, you know, was that I didn't feel like things were moving in the right direction in, in LA. I ran for this seat and I ran for this seat in this district because A, I love this district. It's the best. I really wanted to represent it, but also because I wanted a representative. I wanted to see a representative in office who felt a sense of urgency around addressing homelessness and who demonstrated that urgency. I felt like I did, we didn't have that in, in our previous rep. Um, and so that's why I ran. I will say since I've been in office, Responding to homelessness consumes us as an office. It takes up a huge amount of time, as it should. What we are doing is really going from a very ad hoc, very disjointed and, and dysfunctional system and trying to put into place in our own district where we have a lot more control over what happens and how things happen, trying to put together a systematic way of approaching homelessness in the district, which really allows us to provide services effectively, allows us to have outreach happen regularly, and allows us to monitor, track, and support moving people from encampments into homes. Um, And that's what we've been trying to do since we started. It takes a really long time. When we first started, I hired a homelessness coordinator and we'd have, you know, we'd have staff also go out to visit encampments that they would get calls about. We would find that Outreach workers hadn't visited encampments in the district, certain encampments in the district for months, for months. So it literally an outreach worker had not gone out there, never mind offering real services or housing. They had just hadn't even gone out there for months, right? So we inherited a situation which was very, very neglected. And I think what we've done is to try and put a kind of a systematic response over it. And so over the last few months, what we've done is we hired a homelessness coordinator early on. We're adding another person and potentially one more to that team over the next couple of weeks. So we'll have a homelessness response team within our own office. And in that team, we connect with all of the different network of outreach providers, which we've also supplemented with our own discretionary funds, adding more outreach. And we've guaranteed essentially that every major encampment in the district is getting outreached at least twice a week. And uh, the major ones are getting three days a week of regular outreach, which is amazing. And through that outreach, we're able to say, okay, what does this encampment need? Who are the people who live here? What do they need? 
And how can we make those connections to that? So that means being like, okay, this is an encampment in X location. We need uh, a mental health um, clinician out here regularly. And so we are able to make sure that that happens. We have two different outreach teams coming out here. We need to coordinate between them and make sure they're both offering the same things and that they're both, you know, uh, moving people along the path to housing. We do that. Um, we, okay, we need three housing placements here uh, and we need a bed in a rehab center. And we try and work with the mayor's office and the United, uh, you know, the UHRC, the kind of the homelessness response team within the mayor's office, which coordinates across the whole city and make sure that people are getting that. Uh, and, you know, uh, so that's a big part of the work that we're doing. In addition to that, or in parallel to that, we're trying to make sure that there's regular trash pickup um, around encampments happening. So we're working with sanitation now to expand the number of bins that there are across um, in, in, both in encampments, but across the district overall, but specifically near encampments uh, and to increase regular trash pickup. But in the meantime, we have supplemented LA SANS work, the sanitation department's work with uh, LA conservation court teams who go out regularly to encampments and pick up trash once a week at, at almost every encampment in the, in the district. So these are all things that didn't exist before. And I think through that regular work, we're able to keep streets clean as we're sharing space between housed and unhoused residents, hopefully much more effectively than has been happening in the district. We're able to prioritize needs across encampments in the district. And we're able to work systematically encampment by encampment to make sure residents are getting access to the services and housing options that they need to actually get housed. We have seen progress and I hope that the rest of the district is gonna see progress as well. There is housing that's getting built over in, uh, over by uh, Riverside and Los Feliz, right? Isn't there kind of a space over there or is that? That's already a bridge home facility. Okay. okay is so that filled? It's filled up? It's filled to um, COVID rules. It's going to be expanding uh, its capacity, I think, by the end of this month. So we're excited about that. We'll have more options to offer people, especially in that area. We have a new women and children's, uh, sorry, a family shelter that opened up cl close to that across the street uh, on that same road, which is really beautiful. And that's started accepting families already and it's having a, a grand opening or, or ceremony very soon. Um, we are looking for and will be proposing sites um, across the district where we can hopefully build permanent supportive housing as well. And so that's been a long process of going through what are the city owned properties in the district and where can we identify land and things like that. And we've also been hunting down opportunities for um, project room key, even though the timeline for that is not forever any additional hotel rooms will actually help us. So we're trying to find those opportunities and we should hopefully be able to announce some good stuff soon. So I'm excited. It's been incredibly politically difficult just to get a location, right? Because people don't want those facilities next to their homes and that kind of thing. Yeah. But I think, you know, permanent supportive housing can be really um, exciting to see. You know, I think people have this idea and particularly for shelters, I think when you say this is uh, homeless housing, you know, if you say that to someone, they're going to picture a shelter. And I think sometimes people are afraid of shelters, you know, for, for whatever reason, they say, oh, there's disorder around them, or there's people going in and out, and I don't want to live near something that, that um, 
And I think for me, I've seen great, beautiful shelters that are incredible spaces and I've seen ones that are not very well run. So I understand where people have that initial, a little bit of fear around, around those. And I hope that we can make headway on addressing those fears and showing them that the city of Los Angeles has really good shelters that are well run that people wanna welcome into their neighborhoods. But I think for permanent supportive housing, if you look at more most permanent supportive housing units, you can't even tell that they are any different from any other apartment in a neighborhood. In fact, I found out years after I moved to Silver Lake that there was a permanent supportive housing facility near me and I had never known. You know, so so I think these are when you take people on a tour of what permanent supportive housing looks like, I think all a lot of that opposition I I, I do think can can go away. Um, but I think the key to that opposition or the key to thinking about it is really just to be hopefully as transparent as possible about your plans for a site as early as possible. And that's what we're trying to do in the office, um, having conversations with neighbors to say, hey, this is what's coming. If you have questions, let's talk to you about what this could be and what it could look like and what kind of impacts it could have and any questions that you might have and giving them the opportunity to maybe go tour another site. And I think if we do that work, and also there's a lot of people who want facilities like this. I mean, the United Way has this program called Everyone In. And I don't know if you know about the Everyone In campaign, but they built this around, basically around HHH funding and saying, we want more, we want people to say yes to HHH properties in their, in their district, right? And so they did this big campaign to educate people about what is permanent supportive housing, why we want it, and trying to build up what I keep calling a community of yes. You know, I want to, and I want to hear from that community of yes. That campaign to me was very inspiring. They did a lot of great work in educating people. Everyone always asked me, what can we do on homelessness? And the most important thing for me is to be part of that community of yes. There are a lot of people who are excited to be part of that community. So it's not just that these places can create opposition, but it can also inspire people to create a movement to support it. You know, and I'm hoping that that's what we see um, in our district as well, because I do I did feel like at least during the campaign that there was a lot of enthusiasm for for services and for housing. And so I'm hoping that we can translate that enthusiasm into more enthusiasm when we're actually proposing the projects. It seems like it's popping up pretty much everywhere. Homelessness. Yeah. There's a couple of things that I think have been happening, which I think have changed the way in which homelessness is playing out in the city. For sure, over the last few years, there's been an expansion of homelessness into neighborhoods, which previously hadn't seen tents before at all. And so I do think there's a greater awareness of what it is and what's happening, everything that comes with that awareness, both the desire to help, which I think we've seen in so many neighborhoods, but also anger and fear and all of those things as well, right? So this that's been happening across Los Angeles. But one of the things that I think has been really particularly acute over this last year is that there's been a visible increase in the size of some of the tents themselves because of the CDC guidelines around keeping people safe during COVID and making sure we weren't moving unhoused folks during a pandemic, which I think is absolutely the right, was the right call. But I do think that it resulted in, you know, structures becoming larger. 
And so I think that led to a sense for a lot of people that homelessness was growing, but in the two places where community-led counts have happened, both in Hollywood and in the Mid-Wilshire area, Mid-City area, the number of people experiencing homelessness in those neighborhoods had not increased over this last year. Mm-hmm. So um, in Hollywood, they found that actually the unhoused population went down by 12% based on this community count. And then in the mid-city area, that count, which used all the same methods as LASA, always does for its annual homeless count, but it was just focused on one neighborhood. In mid-city, they found that population of folks experiencing homelessness was about the same, maybe a, a small increase, but it was pretty much the same as the year before. Our investments over this last year, there's been a lot of investments in the city in adding shelter capacity and adding tiny homes and adding hotel rooms through Project Room Key, which was the biggest intervention that the city made. I'm hopeful that adding to these resources has resulted in a decrease of people experiencing homelessness. We need to know more about what's happening, but hopefully we can build on that progress and do more of what has been working to to either keep homelessness flat, but ideally to start actually seeing a decrease, which I, I would love to see. But yeah, sometimes I think we'll, it'll get worse before it gets better, the numbers, because of the economic devastation of the pandemic. And sometimes I think um, maybe it will, it will just get better because we're spending more on it now and we're spending at a scale that actually feels closer to what we need to be spending to actually address the issue. So we'll see. Yeah. Awesome. We want to keep abreast of that and have you back and talk more about that. We are bike talk and we wanted to also talk about biking. Yeah. about Biking and transportation. Yeah. I'd love to talk to you guys about your priorities and what you want to see in the district um, and what you're excited about and learn more about what we could be doing better as a council office, especially now that we have more money. I mean, we were really looking at a huge budget shortfall when I started. Now we're, we're okay. So now that we have a better future for Los Angeles, uh, inter- at least budgetarily speaking, I'd love to use this as an opportunity to say, okay, well, what should we be thinking about? Okay. Yeah. Perfect. <laughs> we have a couple of politically easy projects <laughs> okay, well, tell me more about what it means for you, politically easy. What does that mean when you say that? Something that's not going to necessarily hinder drivers visually mm-hmm. um, speaking, because a lot of times drivers will see something and they'll be like, any kind of change, just they immediately, you know, uh, think it's something that's not going to benefit them. When in reality, a lot of times these are safety improvements that benefit everybody, including drivers. Mm-hmm. There's a couple of projects. Um, one in particular, the the, the Riverside Bridge. Yeah. So yes. what we have, we have this LA River bike path that, I mean, right now it goes from Canoga Park to Long Beach, but there's gaps in there. Right. And this Riverside Bridge, the way I see it, that's probably a politically easy one. It's the Bureau of Engineering. They've been widening, widening bridges all around LA. And uh, say what you want about that. You know, the bike contingent is generally against widening roads and widening bridges, but it's happening. And they promised us bike lanes on the Riverside Bridge. And the Riverside Bridge, what's really interesting about this whole area is that there's very few ways to get to the LA River bike path. There's very few ways 
to get to the valley or even from say Hollywood to the LA river bike path. I mean, the, the, some of the routes are like Los Feliz Boulevard. Yeah. That's a terrible route. Hyperion, another. Yeah. So gosh. Fletcher, those. So on Riverside, it's really a pinch point for the LA river bike path, the orange line bike path. There's a new bike path that Burbank just put in that heads right to that confluence and choke point or whatever you want to call it, which is all on LA city property. It's that bridge is all, I believe, controlled by LADOT. Maybe we can nudge LADOT to get us some bike lanes on there so that people can get to and from the LA river bike path. Yeah. um, Easily. Because right now there's literally like a quarter mile or maybe even less than that where you have to, you're kind of thrown into traffic on Riverside uh, from a bike lane, then there's a gap and then you get to the bike path and there's Zoo Drive, which has a bike lane. So wanted to get your thoughts on nudging LADOT and maybe the Bureau of Street Services, whoever's mostly responsible for striping those lanes to uh, get can in there. get a little bit more support for this bike path uh, to, to be... And it's basically in the, like near Friendship Auditorium, that area? The Riverside Bridge is right where Glendale and Burbank come together and Victory Boulevard. Mm-hmm. Um, they, all, oh, okay. they all come together right there. And there's one bridge that gets you across to Zoo Drive, the yes. River Bike Path, and Griffith Park. Um, so if we were able to make that connection happen, the, the problem right there also is that there's a freeway entrance and a freeway exit there. And when you're riding, you're on that bridge, there's a lot of aggressive drivers that are gearing up to get on the freeway or getting off the freeway. Um, And I'm looking, you know, I was looking at my notes on this particular area um, and it looks like the, the Bureau of Engineering actually, the bike lane striping was promised in the environmental impact report for this project, right? Right, right you know, I think having that striping is, it feels, yeah, like a easy change that can be uh, contributing to a lot more um, bike safety. And as you said, kind of making it easier for people who are using, who are really trying to use the bike path to commute those little areas where it's unsafe. That's what prevents people, I think, from using this stuff regularly. Yeah, definitely. If there's an easy one, like this, this feels, yeah, like a pretty good intervention where you can actually add a lot of safety and a lot of connectivity. And it was already in the plans for this area. Which kind of alludes also to the Hyperion Bridge where there was a huge action around that. Thousand people signed petitions. There was a hundred letters from businesses in the area. Saying what? That we wanted a safe Hyperion Bridge to be able to cross from Los Feliz into Atwater. And that was like a three-year or four-year process. And the Bureau of Engineering promised us bike lanes on that bridge. They re- they're they going to remove a sidewalk, which is incredibly sad, but they did promise us bike lanes. And now it's sort of like, is this really going to happen? Because once again, the Bureau of Engineering promised us bike lanes on the Riverside Bridge and they didn't. They didn't come through. So you're, you know, a couple council members ago, Tom Labonge worked really hard to make sure that that sidewalk was going to get removed. 
and they promised us bike lanes, but they never really showed us exactly what the plans are going to look like. So, so that's I something want to hear a little bit more about what, what, what was Tom LaBunge, what he wanted to remove the sidewalk to make may to make way for the bike lane or to, to. Their original plan was to remove a sidewalk and just widen the lanes and Got make it. it, you know, they're always looking to increase speeds and so forth on their bridges, the Bureau of Engineering. So their original plan was just to simply remove the sidewalk and just make really wide lanes, okay. um, which induce speeding. Yes. You know, the studies show that when you narrow the lanes, you're causing drivers to, to slow up. They're not speeding as much. They're driving more carefully. And what we asked for was, hey, instead of widening these lanes and taking out a sidewalk, we wanted to you know, we, we wanted to remove a lane heading into Atwater okay. and give us nice buffered bike lanes so that for the first time you could actually have safe access to the LA river from Los Feliz, Hollywood, Koreatown, all these areas that can't get to the LA river path safely. Right. So now we have this opportunity there, you know, the Bureau of Engineering is going to be starting this project in a year or so um, is what I've read. Mm -hmm. And we just wanna make sure that they're gonna give us what they promised, which was decent bike lanes. I mean, we lost the fight to try to save the sidewalk there, sad, but at least what we need is, is decent bike lanes on that bridge so that we can get to the LA River. Yeah, um, so I think what we, we actually did reach out to the Bureau of Engineering about this project, we've been in touch with them and a lot of this work was paused because of COVID, a lot of the outreach work and things like that. So what is happening now um, is basically that Bureau of Engineering is still in discussions with DOT on what they're doing in terms of outreach efforts related to lane reconfigurations. What I can do is figure out maybe if they're seeking further input or if they're still wanting community feedback on changes that they're making, we can inform you guys. I think the more support, public support that there will be for adding this bike lane or keeping the bike lane, uh, I think the easier it will be for us to be able to support it as well. So I'm really excited to work with you to make sure people are excited mm -hmm. uh, about it. Uh, but yeah, I would love to see more connectivity here and I would love to see more safety here. Uh, and I would love to see more ability to be able to really use that area and allow people to get in and out of it safely uh, and, and to have a real network there. There's another sort of gap there, right? There's Griffith Park bike lanes, which lead to Sunset Boulevard bike lanes and the rest of the city there. And there's a gap between Griffith Park and Rowena, which has bike lanes. And there's a gap between Griffith Park Boulevard and Hyperion. There was so much activity around this bridge. I mean, there was even a lawsuit. I filed the lawsuit. You filed a lawsuit? I didn't know this. Against, How many years long was this? This was in 2000, I want to say 2014 or 2015. They put together a committee to uh, go through the process of choosing options for the bridge. We did so much work house to house in Atwater. I can't tell you how many houses I knocked on and got signatures from people who were... You said in 2014? I think it was 2014. The file is still on the city council website, but you can go through it and see the hundreds of pages 
of petitions, business letters. I mean, LAUSD, uh, Bennett Kaiser wrote a letter, like the area principals. We, we did everything possible to get right. support for this, for removing a lane and giving us buffered bike lanes and saving that sidewalk. Yeah. And um, Tom LeBonge went out of his way uh, to make sure that that sidewalk was going to get uh, removed and we weren't going to get our perfect bridge. Fine. He won. But, you know, at the end of the day, the, you know, after the lawsuit and everything, the Bureau of Engineering promised us bike lanes on the bridge. So knowing that the Bureau of Engineering doesn't always come through on their word, yeah, we're kind of, you know, Ryu didn't do anything. He just ignored it. Yeah. Um, but we know that council members yeah. have a lot of influence on this and we're kind yeah, of- Yeah, for sure. And especially I think- just me being more open to talking about inviting a public conversation on these issues, I think has already, like you can see the difference when we talk to Bureau of Engineering or to DOT about these kinds of issues. I think that we haven't as an office shied away from, um, from talking about stuff about which there's strong feelings on both sides, you know, and, and sure. really trying to say, okay, like we, I really believe that it, we should make this a city that's safer for biking. Yeah. Um, I would be happy to be more vocally supportive to BOE about the need for that bike lane for sure. And I can report back to you uh, in next, after we've had our meeting with them and let you know the update on that and where they are on that and whether more community engagement needs to happen on this issue or whether it's done and it's actually moving ahead as promised. So um, be happy to come back. Yeah, um, I don't think you'll run into any... I mean, they're saving all the lanes. The car lanes are saved. Yeah. But um, now it's just about technically, are they actually going to come through on their word and put in the bike lanes? Right. I mean, they're going to remove a sidewalk. There's plenty of room now, so yeah. they can do it. Well, let's it's make just, you know. Let's see if we can yeah. make this happen. You know. And yeah, I do think. Um, I do think having someone who's. I've, expressed to them that I'm very, very excited about more connectivity. The conversation that we initially had, it was less about kind of the specifics around projects in the district, but more about saying, okay, these are the broad goals that we have, that I have for um, improving safety, improving um, improving the ability of cyclists to be able to get around, um, improving pedestrian safety, uh, and I'd love to find all kinds of opportunities to work with the department to support that wherever we can, but also to talk about it more and to get it out from beyond just the community of passionate cyclists to also to many more people in the neighborhood and say, because I do think in this, this particular area that we've been discussing, that's where I live. And I know that there's a lot of people there who want to see this, not just the people who've been engaged on this issue so far. Mm. Um, but, but also I think parents of, um, young kids who attend Ivanhoe, who, uh, which is right in that area. And there's a lot of preschools and daycares in that area. So there's a lot of parents who use that area and walk to those schools and daycare centers, um, there are a lot of Marshall high students. That, a lot that of Marshall high from. students. That's right. Yeah. That was another controversy. It's like, we're removing a sidewalk 
and forcing these students to either run across Hyperion, right? which Tom LeBonge did promise a crosswalk. Okay. That's another thing that's got to be put in there. I don't know. It's like, yeah, if we can see what the BOE's exact plan is, then we can really discuss it. Well, let's see if we can come back and have a conversation with more specifics about what the plans are. Um, But the other piece that I really wanted to, uh, yeah, I think it's it's a lot of young people, uh, sorry, parents with young kids who are in that area who really would, I think, love to see an area which is much more safe for for themselves and for their children. Yeah, and better connectivity between Atwater and Los Feliz. Because over yeah. the years, what they've done is made it know, harder. Decades, they've made it harder. They did that on purpose, I believe. They didn't. Why want... do you think they did it on purpose? It's kind of the same story. It's like Los Feliz is more of a like sort of an affluent area, and you can, you know, when you're walking around the bridge, you, there's literally old sidewalks that are covered in bushes now that used to be there. Mm-hmm. Um, there used to be a pedestrian right of way that now you can't walk on that. Uh, sidewalk that lack of maintenance you think was deliberate I believe so yeah knowing I mean I've been in the area for 30 40 years like you know and that's just kind of how LA has been doing things like when there's quote-unquote like uh riffraff hanging out at a staircase on Sunset Boulevard by Parkman they'll take out the staircase they they close up the staircase that's how they solve problems in Los Angeles and What's great about like you and Mike Bonin and other people is like, we're saying, no, let's not close the staircase. Let's enhance the safety. I'm excited to be back here. And I feel like now that we're, we're past the worst of the pandemic and now hopefully behind, you know, it's behind us completely. I'm really excited to focus more on the issues, which I think are really fun. And so I'm, I'm hoping that we can, I can come back, um, in a few weeks and talk to you guys again and talk with a little bit more specificity about some of the projects that hopefully by then we'll have already taken some action on. Okay, cool. I'm excited to do that and uh, happy to see both of you again. Well, thanks for coming on the show, Nithya. We really appreciate your time. Shows I care Every turn of the pedal Cleans the air Green in the green I'm saving the planet Just like my friends Daryl, Sean, Toby, and Janet No greenhouse gas A tiny carbon footprint Up your ass I'm on a motherfucking bike Thanks for listening to this episode of Bike Talk If you want to hear more Go to kpfk.org navigate to programs, and choose Bike Talk. On the Bike Talk page, click on the archives link to play or download shows posted in the last four months. Go to biketalk.com and copy or click on the RSS link to subscribe. Our Twitter handle is BikeTalkPFK. On Facebook, we are Bike Talk. You can become friends and join our group. 